Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. And right now, this is where the podcast starts. We're going to play a little bit. MLB, your daily MLB podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast we talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you check out my lower third, which is located right there. There it is. You can call me Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who's been a comedian, a filmmaker, a writer, an actor, and I have been a baseball podcaster for the last decade. And now I've finished four complete seasons in the Lockdown Podcast Network, looking to make it five if they'll have me back. Uh, You can follow me at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and Instagram, on Twitter, my personal account is Sully Baseball and Sully Baseball Podcast and Instagram. Thanks so much for making us your first listen and make sure to tell your smart device to play podcast Lockdown MLB or check out some of the other great shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network, including Lockdown Reds. Now, why did I pick that one? I got 30 teams to pick from. Well, guess what? By a sheer coincidence, sitting in the waiting room, and I didn't even invite him to this podcast. He's crashed it. It's friend of the podcast and host of the Lockdown Reds podcast. That's Jeff Carr. How you doing, buddy? Sully, great to see you, man. My fourth season as well, and it was a rough season. It was rough Oh season. yeah. Yeah, let's get I mean let's not let's not mince words here. This year stunk. And <laughs> yes, uh it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. And and here's the thing that I you know some of us went into this season thinking like okay all right this is uh, this may be a rough year, but does it have to be super rough? And right. uh, the team said yes. Yes, yeah, it is going to be super rough. It I mean, started th- even before the lockout, too, which is just it, – it, it was it was disheartening to see it before, and then we just sat on it knowing as we waited through that 99 days, we're just like, yeah, as soon as the, uh, as soon as the gates open, this is going to get worse. And it did. <laughs> well, well, look at – uh, I've, I'm right now at baseballreference.com, the single race website in the history of the planet Earth, where they give you a summary of the season. And uh, here's the deal. Um, they, at one point, were over 500. They were. Yeah, they won their first game. It's on opening day, yeah. Opening day. <laughs> and I go, wait a minute. Hold on, folks. Stop the presses. Against and the then, defending World Series champs, too. Yeah, and guess what? They split. The series. Now, just imagine, just just keep this in mind, everyone. Essentially, the Atlanta Braves and the Mets finished the season tied. And because the Braves won the season series, Atlanta was the division champ. Now, can you imagine if the Mets had won just one more game? It would have been the Reds splitting that opening series would have made the difference. All the games count, folk. Right. All the games count. 
It's true. And, and to know that after that opening series, those four games in Atlanta, the first time since 1990 that the Reds opened the season on the road, but they mm-hmm. come back to Great American Ballpark riding high off of a 500 road trip because you're like, okay, maybe, maybe they could mess around here and get close to 500. And then the son of the owner says the words that were the theme of the season for the Cincinnati Reds. Where else are you going to go? Yeah. Well, I could tell you where this could go. They hit bottom, grabbed a shovel, and kept on digging because (laughs) they lost uh, 22 out of the next 25 games, I think it was. That well, they were three and twenty-two to start. So technically, okay. after he said that, that was what uh, one and twenty. Yeah. After he said that, you go on a one and twenty stretch. Um, here's the thing that's absolutely banana boat time about this, and for people uh, who may not have been paying close attention to the Reds over the last few seasons, in order to go back to the last time the Reds were a contending team. You have to go all the way back to 2021, the year before the Reds were tied for a wild card spot in mid September. Yep, and they I finished mean, the, the year over 500. I mean, yeah. things were nice. You know, you're like, okay, you can build on this. They 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 made the postseason on the truncated uh, COVID year. They were a they were it basically took. The Cardinals going on that wild winning streak in September of 2021 to basically sink the Reds. But the Reds were tied. As I said, it was, I believe it was mid-September. They were tied for a playoffs, one of the wildcard spots. And we saw this year what getting a wildcard spot could potentially mean. I mean, the, the, the Phillies were two wins away from winning it all. The NLCS were the fifth and sixth spots in the playoff spot. I mean, if, if one thing that we've learned this year, it, or two things we've learned, sign the generational talents that you can get if they're floating around, sign generational talents, and also go for it because those final playoff spots, you could be completely forgotten like the Tampa Bay Rays, or you could be the sixth seed one game ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers and be up at 1.2 games to one in the World Series as yeah. Philadelphia was. And it's it's interesting because, you know, like Philadelphia really had a great comeback. I mean, they fired Girardi and then they're able to figure things out as a baseball team from there. But even the Reds, and I'm not saying that they were ever in the conversation for the playoffs, but they were not. They were not. They were never. But through the month of May and June, and I think even most of July, they were a 500 baseball team. So they showed that there was something because I thought, and coming into the season, they had the over under set at 73 and a half wins for the Reds. I took the over on that because I'm like, I think they could do that. And they showed that talent. But it was just that crazy start where they had so many injuries, they didn't hit, like they had a team slump wide. And I think they had a team ERA in the month of April of six and a half that defined the rest of the season for them. Well, think about this for a second. You made a great point here, and I had to, I had to look something up here. You know, they started the their their record in April was yep. three and eighteen, which is not good. They had a winning record in May. Yeah, and they had a winning record in July. Yep. 
You know, I mean, you take a look at that. You said if you had now, granted, they didn't run away with it in those months, but they right. they had their nose above water, and you could see that. You know, in some ways, and this is maybe one of the good things, or potentially one of the bad things about having this many playoff teams is eighty-seven wins will get you a ticket. Mm-hmm. Now that will mean the the pressure to make your ninety-five win team a hundred win into a hundred win team really won't be there. Where it means is for the teams that are floating around, are we going to be a 500 team? Well, if we pick up a couple extra players, that may boost our win total by five or six wins, which might be enough to put some butts in the seats in September, sell some foam, we're number one fingers, and some season tickets for the next year. And with the promise of, hey, don't laugh at that six seed, that could get you to the World Series. Um, So let's just, I mean, the... The Reds just obviously they go off. You can't recover from a start like that. You you can't clinch a division in April, but you could be eliminated in April if you put yourself in too big of a hole. It's really disastrous. Even a winnable division like the National League Central. Yeah, but this was. I mean, look at this was an absolute gut punch for a Reds team that was that that was an exciting team just one year prior, yeah. and. Yeah, it's the annoying thing is too. like, there were so many positives to look back on with some young players and some guys that really got to break into the majors and, and kind of set their mark for the future and say, Hey, look, we're here. We're ready to play, but just hanging over them was the cloud of how they ran the team coming into the season. And and they were still telling fans, no, 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 we we built this team for the playoffs. We're going to fight. We're going to fight for the playoffs. And everyone looked at the roster and they knew after you got rid of nearly everybody that was on the team the year before, you're like, you're not making the playoffs. Like, unless you watched Major League Two on repeat for the last week before you had this press conference, that's the only reason I would think that you would you would say that because nobody thought the Reds were going to make the playoffs. And then they just had everything go wrong in the first month. And then it was like, okay, it's Kismet here. We're not going anywhere with this team. Let's see what we can get from the young guys. But it just hung over everything that Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green, um, you know, Tyler Stevenson for a little bit, and some other guys got to do for the Reds. Major League Two. Yeah. I don't know why I picked two. I know. That was so specific. I started thinking, wait, did I see Major League Two? Yeah, I think I did. Um, okay, that was that was very, very specific. Look at uh I'm listening to that and I thought, okay, he's definitely gonna say major league. I mean it was a real long shot that you were gonna say major league two. Well, what were the odds that you were gonna say major league two <laughs> in any way, shape, or form? But uh, if you're a betting man. Uh, you put with all your money that he was going to say Major League and not Major League. You would have lost it. If you're going to make any bets, go to betonline.net. It's your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. So you didn't expect me to go into live read that way. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, and I know I do, you could find those on BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online. It's where the game starts. And hey, everyone, thanks so much for making Locked on MLB your first listen for the day. For your second listen, obviously, it's Locked on Reds. 
But after that, go to Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today. It's available on this app, YouTube, or frankly, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, let's reset. We're here with Jeff Carr. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff Carr. Throw an extra F in there. That extra F is for fun. Uh, what is it? It's for it's Frankenstein. Your middle name is Frankenstein. Jeff Frankenstein Frederick, Carr, right? Yeah. Frederick. Okay. <laughs> I know I got Close. one of them right. I got Close. one of them right. Young um, hey, let's 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 be positive for a second, okay? Um, I, I find it interesting that there was a lot of managers on the hot seat. Uh, David Bell was not one of them. Uh, because I think nobody could blame David Bell for this mess. No, they they took all the cards out of his out of his hand and said, "Go win a poker game." And he, there was no way that was going to happen. Here, here's here's this is not the best metric for showing what went wrong, but in some ways it's symbolic. I am right now at baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of planet Earth, and I'm on the Reds page for 2022. And they always list before the stats, they have lined up kind of like they used to have in those like disaster films from the 70s. We have the pictures of all the stars, you know, on the bottom, George Kennedy as Petroni. Um, just went super specific with an airport reference there. <laughs> um, the first, and it's in order of who has the highest wins above replacement on the current team, not overall, just, just with the Reds. And you know the first name they have there with the highest war, number one for 2022 with the Reds. You know who it is? Guy sitting behind me, La Piedra, Luis Castillo. Luis Castillo, and he's wearing a Mariners hat in the picture <laughs> because he was traded at the trade deadline to Seattle. It's a yep. bad sign when your best player using wins above replacement as your metric is wearing a different team's hat on. Yeah. You know that he didn't even finish the freaking season. You know he think, he played a third of the season in the Pacific Northwest, and nobody could catch him on on the twenty twenty two Reds team. There were a couple of different things like that because I know that I, I think Tyler Maui finished in mm -hmm. the top five, and of course he pitched He's got for the Twins. Yeah, yeah, um, and then not in top five of WAR, but the number one home run hitter for the Reds last year was Brandon Drury. Who finished the season with the Padres? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, bad. Bad signs. Bad signs all around. Um, you can get anything from Nick Senzel. Um, you did. You know, I hate to say it, but you didn't get a good season out of Joey Votto, one of my favorite players in all of baseball. Um, Comeback player just, of the year, twenty twenty three, Joey Votto. I am some, speaking into existence. Okay, let me tell you the weirdest positive story for the Cincinnati Reds, at least from my point of view, was Hunter Green. Because Hunter Green struck out 164 batters and 125 and two-thirds innings pitched. Um, and had a complete game. You know, just all, all the... It, he had... Obviously had talent and obviously a young player. Every time I noticed Hunter Green... He was pitching like seven, eight innings, one run. One day he got 48 strikeouts. I don't know how that's possible. It just seemed he always had a ton of strikeouts and looked great every time I noticed him in the standings. 
And then I look at his final line. Okay, 5-13. and 13, I don't really care about win-loss record. It's a 100-loss team. He's not going to have a great win-loss record. Right. His ERA is 4.44, mm-hmm. and he pitched 125 and two-thirds innings, which made me realize, was he really terrible in the games that didn't catch my eye? Because every time I saw him, I was like, oh, my God, is he is he neck and neck with Sandy Alcantara for the Cy Young this year? And then you look at at what point – at one point, he pitched a masterpiece. I don't remember what day, but he pitched like an absolute masterpiece. I looked at his ERA, it was in the fives. I think, what the hell is happening in the games that I'm not noticing with this guy? The, the, I think the day you're referring to is the one of the most infamous days of the entire season for anybody whenever yeah, he threw a no-hitter mm-hmm. and the Reds lost. Yeah. And it was just absolutely insane but no he the biggest problem with him was his fastball had its days its days where it moved and its days where it was flat and when guys were seeing it there was specifically a day in milwaukee where they hit five home runs off him in three innings and it was just something that he had to work through it was one of those where it's like hey kid welcome to the big leagues you got to figure out how to stick up here by the way we're going to figure out how to hit that 103 mile an hour fastball that you have made your entire life uh around up until this point and there were a lot of guys that were so very good at hitting it he just could not pitch against the cardinals early on but then he kind of went through a period, I, I believe it was in August, where he was on the injured list for, I believe it was a back issue. And then he came back, and for his last 10 starts, that was the rookie phenom, the guy that I picked to be rookie of the year, the guy that I thought would be in the Cy Young conversation this year, and the guy that I know will be in the conversation in years to come because he's just uber talented he's got the mentality of like a veteran who's pitched for 15 years and yet he's got the body of a dude who's ready to go for another 20 so i think that he's the kind of dude that the reds can build their rotation around the fact that nick lodolo really pitched like the ace for the season is kind of a it's just a cherry on top of all of this but hunter green himself early on just couldn't throw anything but his fastball and everybody knew it. And so they were just clobbering it. There was a game specifically as well. And sorry to continue this thought process, but in Boston for the first three innings, he had six strikeouts and no hits allowed. And then in the fourth inning, he gave up two home runs and he walked three guys and they pulled him. It was just Mm -hmm. these weird games that all of a sudden people timed up that fastball and it was over and you had to get him out, but he was able to kind of mold it a little bit more and he can locate the fastball. At least he could at the end of last season. And if you can locate 103 mile an hour fastball, now we're talking. Now we are talking and you know, you take a look at this pitching staff and obviously they had, they traded away Luis Castillo, um, and Tyler Molly and I don't remember exactly forgive me I don't exactly remember what they got back for them um so really really good return it some guys one dude was up at the end of the year Spencer Steer that they got in the Tyler Malley trade and then there's some other guys who are probably going to be up in the next two or three years especially from Seattle the Reds essentially acquired like the Mariners top like six prospects over the course of the last 12 months. So it's kind of crazy how many different times uh, Jerry DePoto and uh, Nick Kroll got on the phone with each other, but th- there were some solid trades, just not with any guys that are going to be impact bats immediately. 
Right. Um, and then you also had a good season from Alexis Diaz, who mm. didn't have a lot of opportunities to close. When you're a hundred loss team, you're not going to have uh, that many save opportunities. But he's a young pitcher who pitched pretty well out of the bullpen. Last dude on the roster, too, when it came to opening day. Like, whenever they made the announcements, it was him and Daniel Duarte, the last two dudes that made the opening day roster. And we weren't really sure what to expect from him. They said that, oh, yeah, you know, he's kind of like his brother Edwin and that he has a crazy fastball that sometimes he's not really even sure where it's going, but hitters will have no clue where it's going, and he's got a wipeout slider. And, oh, my gosh, like early on, walks were an issue. And he's kind of cleaned that up, at least toward the end of the season. But the slider, when it's on, nobody can touch it. And he's so devastating against right-handed hitters with that pitch, such that the Mets themselves reportedly called on him during the trade deadline. Now, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of reports out there that are like, oh, it was close. They, you know, they almost had it. That's not the case. Nick Crawl actually kind of put that to bed. He's like, you know, it's the trade deadline. There's a lot of people that are calling about a lot of people. And then once you get off the phone, you'd be like, yep, talk to them about that guy. There was nothing there, though, is his quote. He's like, there's nothing that we were looking to trade because he's under control for so long. And he's he's just got that talent. There's a lot of people that think that he's going to be a top relief pitcher in baseball and to say that with a bullpen that we have watched just languish through the final innings of games for the last two or three years is really exciting to see and we're trying to work up how he can get an entrance you know into great american ball it's not going to be as good as edwin's but we're going to try well yeah okay and you know that's a, when you're rebuilding a team one of the first things you try to do is come up with the entrance music for your closer that's I the think first it, thing yeah <laughs> I learned that from Major League Three. Um, back to the Biners, which is a contradiction in the titles. Major right. League Three, back to the Miners. Should be called yeah. Minor League. Minor League One? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. All right, we're here with Jeff Carr, uh, and we're we're talking about uh, bad sequels to baseball movies, which brings us to uh, Bad News Bears Go to Japan. Um, no. <laughs> Or Bad News Bears in Breaking Training. One of the strangest titles of all time. <laughs> By the way, neither Walter Matthau nor Titan Murniel came back for that one. So you know it was good. Um, look at the Cincinnati Reds are going to go into the 2023 season. Uh, look at uh, tied with their compadres of the 1970s playoffs being the Pittsburgh Pirates, both 100 lost teams. Um Look, I've been saying this for years, and, and you and I have talked about this. The Reds are a team that should have a gigantic regional following. Not only are they a team with deep roots, obviously, but there are many cities that could sort of come within their orbit, like Columbus or Dayton or... You know, Louisville, Kentucky, or, yeah. or you know, Nashville, or or Indianapolis. These are all cities that are within the reach of the Reds, and you see this with the Cardinals. Cardinals reach out to a lot of those cities and areas in sort of like in Nebraska or in in, in you know in Memphis regions of Southern yeah. Illinois, you know, that in Arkansas that seem to pull 
the astro, yeah, the the uh, uh, the Cardinals into that orbit. You see that in the Northwest with the Mariners pulling Portland and Spokane and and all these and and even Vancouver into their orbit. Although Vancouver stays loyal to the you know the Toronto Blue Jays, but you know all that Northwest. The Reds should be a team like that. They should have that big regional pull. You know, obviously the greatest example of the regional pull is the Boston Red Sox, you know, pulling from all of New England and everything like that. But the Reds have deeper roots than the Red Sox, and they should be able to do that. And the team that, to me, and I talked about this with Peter Pratt on the pre, on the previous show while we were talking about the Marlins, uh, because oddly – in every other sport, Miami is this gigantic destination place, and in baseball, it's a tiny, small market. Um, San Diego has demonstrated there's no excuse. Yes. You can't squeeze in a smaller market than the oceans on this side, the deserts on this side, Los Angeles is up here, Mexico is down there. San Diego is not exactly the biggest metropolis in the world, and they said, hey, let's start acquiring generational talents and try to turn this franchise, which was floating like a spider in the toilet for a while, and now is a completely relevant team that got within three wins of the World Series. There's no excuse, especially when you consider that Cincinnati was working on a baseline of a winning team yep. that was contending deep into last year, and to then to sort of put two sticks of dynamite in this, there, there's no excuse. And so my question is to you, Jeff, who I've known for a couple of years now, what should they do? Show the thing, your work. The th yeah. <laughs> the thing of it is, when it comes to this team, they have decided, you know, to tear it down to the studs. They decided to blow it up. Whatever the metaphor is here, they got rid of everybody last season. And the rookies that they were able to bring up are the exciting base of this mm -hmm. team. And there's going to be an even more exciting dude. The guy that's going to really just kind of signal a change, hopefully toward the future of winning. That's Ellie De La Cruz. He's going to be up at some point this year. Maybe it's May, maybe it's June uh, because he's just set every level of the minor leagues on fire that he's touched. He's absolutely been amazing at the plate, just numbers that are insane. And sure. He has, some strikeout totals that make people go, hmm, but he's hitting over 300 at every level. He's slugging over 500 at every level. And they've got these guys that are going to be ready to go. The problem is this is going to be the same conversation that you have about different teams that, okay, you've got stars and you've got duds. You don't want to do that. And I feel like the Reds have tried to lean on that for the last decade or so. And it worked in 2010 and it worked in 2012 and it kind of worked in 2020, but I don't know that we want to count that because uh, they didn't really score in the postseason. So I don't literally, know, but yeah, not at all. So you've got to be able to build a solid team with them. They made a trade yesterday for Nick Solak, who's going to be a platoon right. guy in the outfield. You and something. It, 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 it's a move, right? Like they're not just sitting on their hands claiming guys off the waiver wire like they did the last couple of years. But at the same time, you've got to make moves that move the needle. You can't just constantly be this team that has to wait on prove-it contracts because I feel like that's all we're talking about this offseason is, well, could they convince Corey Kluber to come here and prove that he still has something left? Could they 
you know, go out and get like AJ Pollock and bring him in on a prove it deal. Like there's gotta be a point when ownership sets down and says, this is the budget, this is what we're going to work with. And then let Nick crawl go do work because there's also, you know, there's also reports of you know, a little bit of meddling from the ownership and things like that, which is where we get jealous of teams, even like the guardians that sure their budget's not amazing, but at least they let their office work and they let yeah. their baseball guys baseball. So at the end of the day, the biggest factor in all of this are the guys that are writing the checks and how can they let the team work when it comes to showing your work, the guys that are in control, the guys that make decisions for this ball club have to let the front office do its thing because they've set up guys in player development. They set up guys in advanced scouting that know their stuff. They just got to let right. those guys work. And can I just say, cause if we learn nothing else, from today's podcast we've learned that jeff carr has turned baseball into a verb let them baseball <laughs> let the baseball guys baseball yeah. let them baseball let them baseball <laughs> well look at man um i'd love to see the reds do well i do i would i mean obviously they had a great run in the beginning of the 2010s no one remembers it because they didn't win a pennant out of it they were uh, a Scott Rowland foul ball away from going to the NLCS in 2012. That would have been an interesting matchup between the Reds and the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I, I This is a sleeping giant of a fan base. And I think we're that hungry, this man. is a fan we're base hungry. hungry. And do you what we saw? It's funny. I'm going to bring up another team. We saw a dormant fan base wake up a little bit this year in Baltimore. We saw that what happened of all the talk of the prospect this, prospect that. Suddenly so they showed up, and they started being able to play well. And guess what happened? Fans started showing up to Baltimore because they want the Orioles to be good, but they're not going to show up to watch a garbage product. And Cincinnati fans want to show up. And I'm speaking for you, but just from my perspective – that that you just get the sense that they, if they put together a legit pennant contender again, I mean, 2012 was probably they, everyone knew when they made the playoffs on their Jay Bruce Homer that that was their World Series. That the world that yeah. that that Bruce Homer they finally made it back to the postseason. Well, that was 2010, uh, but yeah, 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 2010. Yeah, so 2010, and Dusty Baker uh, turned another franchise around and everything. But 2012 was really their opportunity that there was a window of opportunity to win a pennant that year. Obviously, the Giants went on to win it all, uh, and they were helped a great deal by the fact that St. Louis knocked out uh, Washington. Remember Davey Johnson was the manager of the Nationals? Does that <laughs> seem like a lifetime ago? Yeah. But, but really, since losing the, the wildcard game to Pittsburgh – yeah, I mean, they made it in 2020 in front of no fans and cardboard fans and everything like that. This is a fan base that's ch chomping at the proverbial bit. And really I'm not, yeah. It, it's something that last year with the, the Super Bowl run for the Bengals, like, you know, the city turned orange and black, but I'm telling you, there is a red undertone that the moment that the Reds are good. This is back to a baseball town, like drop of the hat, snap of the finger. It's a baseball town that's just really, really tired of its baseball team stinking. Right. And that's one of the interesting things why I think the Reds 
should be one of those great regional teams. When you stop and think, mm-hmm. most cities, and, and I'm, I'm, I make no bones. I'm not an NFL fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I not, I don't I have nothing against the NFL. I don't follow the, I don't follow the league. Sure. Uh, if if a game is on, I'll watch it. You know, I don't dislike it. I just don't follow it. It's like that show Blind Date or whatever it's called. I've never seen it, so I, I don't hate blind. it. Was it? Love is blind. Is it love is blind? Is that what is that what it's the called? Netflix That's, Netflix show. Yeah. Yeah, it shows you how yeah, yeah, big yeah, a fan yeah. I am. Okay, fine. Love, I love is trash blind. reality, so I'm all over it. Yeah. All right, cool. Good. But like, <laughs> like yo, know, um, Miller Thomas and I were talking. Like he challenged me to name five current NFL players, and I couldn't. You know, but it's but it doesn't make doesn't mean I'm better than no. you. It just yeah. means I don't follow it, and. So baseball is clearly my my sport, but I'm the first to concede that the NFL's popularity is greater than that of of, of Major League Baseball, right. and there are very few cities that aren't that that have a Major League Baseball team and an NFL team that aren't baseball first. You know, I, I think Boston is, I think New York is, um, I think Cincinnati. Yeah. Very well, maybe. Uh, with the when the when St. Louis the Rams, I definitely would have said St. Louis. Now they don't have an NFL team, um, but I think everyone else. I think this, you know the love for the White Sox and Cubs, notwithstanding, the Bears are the team of Chicago. You know, Milwaukee, the Packers. I mean, I know it's Green Bay, but it's the Packers are the team of Wisconsin. I think even San Francisco, where they love the the giants oh, the okay. niners i mean the, the the niners are the king and i think you know most cities i think the 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 two weird outliers is here in los angeles the lakers rule the roost and i think oddly in detroit it's the red wings um yeah. but almost every other play i mean like look at i mean washington it's whatever they're called now miami it's the dolphins obviously Tampa, it's going to be the the you know the Bucks, yeah. you know the Cowboys, the Texans, oh, yeah. you know going around the Chiefs, going go around, and I think Cincinnati is one of the few markets that the you know the Bengals' recent success notwithstanding, uh, it seems to be a baseball first city, and I you have you can't ignore that if you're the ownership no. of the Reds you could have something extraordinary you could have a fan base that reaches out to where the regional coverage of it it is goes to other you know you could Voltron it to becoming a big market club I right. mean and I keep thinking of the Red Sox as being the model for that Boston's not a gigantic city but it feels like a gigantic city because it draws in you know, Worcester and it draws in Providence and it draws in, you know, you know, Manchester, New Hampshire, all the different cities from around New England flow into the Red Sox. That's what the Reds should be. Right. No, and, and that's why I wish ownership would see that. And I know that there's different things that get published. I know Forbes pr- publishes their their ownership values list every year. And every year you see the Castellini group at the bottom of the list, but your uh, point about the Padres uh, is just ever bit as strong each and every year. Like you don't have to play into the whole small market, small market thing. Like if you say 
this is what we're doing because we're a small. You say, no, 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 this is what we're doing because we don't want to spend. Like, right. th- th- I think everybody understands that now. And to continue to lean on the small market nomenclature is just, it's just sad at this point. And I think that they need to see that. They need to understand that we as fans know they could be a lot better and just be better. Like, it's so easy to say, but be better. <laughs> and there isn't a Dodgers or a Braves or a Mets that are overspending everyone in that division. There's no 100-win team juggernaut in the division. And we saw, as I said, being a broken record, we'll wrap up with this, the the NLCS was between two sub-90-win teams. Now, that may be a fluke, okay, because we saw in the American League it was the two best teams in the American League. So it may not always be that. But if you get the Reds and punch that ticket – with the 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 fantasy of the the 2022 Phillies made it to the World Series dancing in their head, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you start getting that you start getting the money from not just from Cincinnati but from Columbus and Dayton and Louisville and Indianapolis and Nashville and all that flowing into the Reds, right? Yeah, and wherever in West Virginia, those guys too, yeah. Uh, those yeah. the huge, huge fans down in West Virginia. They come yeah, into it, we, we have wet, Reds Fest here in a couple of weeks at the beginning of December, and I'm about to meet a whole bunch of people from all over this region that just want this team. Are, I spent, they're daring this team to be good. I spent the fall of 2012, which was the year where the 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 Reds had their last great team. Uh, I spent that in West Virginia and Kentucky working on a television show. And I remember when I was there, there were so many people as it was in um, Southern West Virginia and um, Eastern Kentucky, where we were shooting the show. Only, only the most glamorous locations for me. There was a uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous. Right. Um, <laughs> so many people wearing Bengals jerseys. And Bengals hats and Bengals sweatshirts and Bengals windbreakers. And I was thinking, really? Oh, look at all these Bengals stuff. And I realized, yeah, geographically, that's closest. You know, there was a lot of university stuff as well. But uh, when the Bengals were playing, that was the home game. Yep. And, I, and, of course, they weren't all big baseball fans, although I would have loved to have been there a few weeks prior when they were playing San Francisco in the in the playoffs. Maybe there would have been some interest in that. But yeah, I mean, there's, think of all the places you can draw from, and that's yeah. what's sitting there. That that's the 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 little bits of treasure on the ground, which all they have to do is spend enough money to make them as good as they were in 2021. Right. I mean, we're not which talking. You have to. We don't have to unseat the 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 big red machine or the 1990 Reds. You just make them an 87 win team. Right. And you don't have to even eclipse. You don't even have to sniff the luxury tax. Just just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Hopefully. Hopefully so. Because one day, Sully, I want that stress. I want that stress that Philly went through in this World Series. I want. Yeah, it's good. It's fun stress. Just like it's fun stress whenever you appear on Lockdown MLB, because I never know how it's going to go. Hey, Jeff Carr, (laughs) tell people where they can listen to your podcast. You can catch us uh, anywhere that you find Locked On MLB. You can catch us right here on YouTube. In fact, depending on when you're watching slash listening to this today, we are going live at 2 p.m. 
for our Aloha Friday, since Steve's from Hawaii, obviously, Cincinnati and Aloha. But yeah, Steve's from Hawaii, so Aloha Live Friday for Lockdown Reds. All right, well, hey, thanks so much for being locked on. It will be your first listen, and second listen has got to be locked on Reds. Third lesson, I'm going to give Peter Pratt love again, Locked On Marlins, but your fourth lesson, make it Locked On Sports today. Do it, make it your first. Have that be like your overview. You know, remember, like, can remember how we used to do with Sports Center? Have this replace that. And, you know, the games that matter, all the biggest stories, you know, you got to go beyond the scoreboard and get the great stories behind the scenes. You got the Locked On experts from all the different teams and cities. No other place does it like Locked On. It's Locked On Sports Today. It's available here, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, just like us. Well, we're recording this for the 11th day of November. We're in mid-November, folks. The pennant race is here. Oh, wait, no. No, we're here doing, we're here as your friend in the offseason. We're doing a whole bunch of other stuff. Thanks so much, Jeff Carr, for joining the show. This is Locked On MLB. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Solly. <laughs> 